and you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. And who do we have in the studio today? Hello, are you there? Hello. Yeah, yeah. we're here. Who are you? Could you please move close to the mic and belt out who you are? Jay Douglas, Pablo Paul. From? Toronto. Toronto. To? Back. Back to Jamaica. <laughs> Back to Jamaica. And we also have, beside you guys, who do we have? Please, could you introduce, actually, if you could just pull the mic over a bit there for a second. Who, do you, who are you? Uh, my name is Cipriano. Cipriano, welcome to the Nerdwater Human Serviette Radio Show. Nice to be here. So could you please introduce the guests you brought with you here today? Could you please give some background? Who are you, and why are we here? <laughs> Well, I go by the name of Cipriano, and I brought my friends Jay Douglas and Everton Pablo Paul along. We're here as part of a Jamaica to Toronto musical explosion at the Folk Fest, and last night we rocked the Yale Club very hard. These gentlemen did. It was an honor to be there, an honor to watch these fine Jamaican Canadian musicians play. Everton Pablo Paul is the backbeat behind Jackie Matu, Wayne McGee in the Sounds of Joy, the Cougars, on and on and on, and his distinguished partner Jay Douglas is the 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 sole vocalist from Toronto voted number one vocal R&B vocalist in 2006 by now readers of now Toronto newspaper Soul Supreme Who is number 2? <laughs> mighty Pope. <laughs> <laughs> and who is the Mighty Pope? The Mighty Pope's also with us. He's uh he's walking well, He's not around. with us right now though. He's walking around Stanley Park with his wife right now and uh, catching some of the beautiful West Coast scenery, but uh he will be performing at the Folk Fest uh live and direct. Uh, amazing soul singer as well. And Cipriano, we just heard right now Dirty Funk. What can you tell us about Dirty Funk? What well, did we hear? D- Dirty Funk opened up with a totally bad Ass, can I say badass break by Everton Paul, an open drum break that's been sampled over the years by the hip-hop community. And it's sort of what drew a lot of people like myself to these old records from the 60s and 70s. And uh, the grooves are insane. And we were listening to Wayne McGee, and he was the guitar player, and that was his album. It was cut in 1970 on the Birchmount label out of Toronto. Everton, what do you remember about playing on that particular track there that we just heard? And how many times have you heard it? And are you sick of that tune? And will you ever get sick of that tune? No, never get sick of that. And have you ever heard that tune on the radio when you didn't know you were actually in the band that was actually playing that tune? I.e., Have you heard yourself sampled on the radio? No, I've never heard it. I've never uh, really listened to a station that would play the music that would uh, sample that type of beat, you know? And we played the Dirty Funk right now. Give some background, a little bit on Wayne McGee. Who was Wayne McGee? And what were you doing in that particular session? And why is that session pretty cool and important? I will turn that back over to Cipriano for that one. Well, at that time, 1970, there was no support, industry support, radio support, media support for black music in Canada. And what we have here was a group of young West Indian immigrants that came here from Jamaica, had had learned the ropes in Jamaica, playing music in Kingston, Montego Bay, came to Toronto for any number of reasons, joining family, education, to play music. But these guys got right involved in the Toronto music scene and started playing live throughout the city, playing at West Indian clubs like Club Jamaica and the Whiff Club, as well as sort of penetrating the Young Street Strip, which was known for its R&B and rock and roll scenes like the Hawk's Nest and clubs like Lecoq Door. This was like the place to be in Toronto if you're a young person wanted to explore music, go out, dancing, party, dressing up. This was coming into the 
psychedelic era as well. So these guys can tell tell us a little bit more about some of the wild action that happened, I'm sure. But um, it was a wild scene, and Wayne was able to cut this record. And uh, it didn't sell very well. Nobody promoted it. The media didn't get behind it. And it sort of just vanished into thin air. And we sort of discovered it maybe in the mid-'90s, just digging for old records, searching for things funky and groovy, and, and just fell in love with it. And we decided to, we want to reissue it and put it out again. So we've been working with uh, Light in the Attic Records from Seattle on reissuing some of this sort of Jamaican-Canadian music. What I think is really interesting is you kind of mentioned the reissue and the importance of different things, Cipriano. Right off the bat, could you please explain the importance of John Carraro, Ty from the Vancouver flea market, and your ex-girlfriend? <laughs> okay, well, let's start with John Carraro. Those are three <coughs> names. Uh, because we're here today because of these people, aren't these we? People. John, John Carraro, Ty from the Vancouver flea oh, market, yeah. and your ex-girlfriend, too. <laughs> That's why you're here, aren't you? Yeah, and I don't think any of them have actually met. Maybe Ty and, and my ex-girlfriend, Tannis. But we'll start with John Carraro. He was a New York record dealer. It's sort of infamous. They had these record collector fairs in New York um, that he would bring these crazy, obscure, funky records to and sell them to the likes of Pete Rock, Diamond D, Lord Finesse, all the rap producers, Q-Tip, from New York that were making, like, the best rap music in the mid early 90s, mid-90s. John was a, a celebrity record dealer to the rap music stars. So he brought Wayne McGee and the Sons of Joy to one of these record fairs in New York, put a price sticker of $500 on it, and just sort of waited for the magic tap. And one of the first people that came to the table was Prince B from the group PM Don, uh, some of the listeners out there would know uh, PM Don, and he saw the record. He put it on on the turntable, and uh, apparently had a, had a a little hoarse voice. He couldn't talk, but as soon as he put the thing on the the needle on the record, and he heard that dirty funk drum break, he was like telling John, "Take it off, take it off. I want it." You know, but he's doing it all with hand gestures because he can't speak because he was uh, resting his voice for the rap show later in the evening. So the record started getting a notorious reputation as being like. You know, just a really hot record to get. Uh, open drum breaks and funky grooves, and a just nice listening record. It looked good. It was obscure. It was from Canada, so that's pretty well John's story. I actually had a privilege of talking to him, and he was a very nice fellow. He's still peddling records in upstate New York somewhere. Ty Scammo was uh, one of my music gurus. Taught me everything I know about music and got me into exploring Canadian music. He was Ty Scammo was selling records at the Red Barn in Vancouver. People from Vancouver listening know the flea market, the Vancouver flea market, which is still open. And uh, I used to go there every week and buy records. And this is where I started finding some of these obscure Jamaican-Canadian releases. As well as through another connection was my ex-girlfriend, Nardwara. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm sure that my <laughs> present girlfriend likes to hear more stories about my ex-girlfriend. But this is an amazing friend of mine, Tannis Lewis, and her father was uh, Jamaican. He came to Canada in the 70s as well and owned a record store in Scarborough that sold a lot of uh, West Indian music. He also had a record label that recorded a lot of reggae music. So... He, unfortunately, was a bit of a deadbeat dad, and he left the family, but he left his record collection behind, so Tannis and I would get together, and we'd go through the records and listen to the records, and that's really where I got my knowledge of West Indian music, because he had an amazing collection, so we'd all just sit and learn more about these artists, and uh, that's sort of, those are <laughs> the answers to your three uh, 
names there. John Carraro Ty from the Vancouver Flea Market, your ex-girlfriend, Everton and Jay here, all live on the Nardwarty Human Survey Radio Show. Well, actually, John Carraro isn't here. Ty's near. Oh, your ex-girlfriend isn't here. Although she is welcome to phone in at 604-822-2487, UBCCITR. If you have any questions for Cipriano, Everton or Jay from Toronto to Jamaica, from Jamaica to Toronto, from Trinidad to Hollywood, lots to explore here on the Nardwarty Human Survey Radio Show here. Now, Everton, just back to the mic to you over there. I was asking a bit about Wayne McGee. What do you remember about that particular session and all that stuff being laid down? And had you played that song throughout the years before you met up with Cipriano? And the same thing with you, Jay. Had you guys played this song? Because you played it last night. You played it last night. You're going to yeah, play it tomorrow night. we played it a few times since uh, meeting up with uh, Cipriano. But the, most thing, the thing I remember most about that session was I never got any money. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what most people really remember? Yeah. No, but but really, it, it 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 didn't really matter because the music spoke for itself. It just said, "Come play me," you know. When I sat in the studio with Wayne and he says, "Let's try this thing," and I started it, and it just grew from there. And I I just loved it. So, do you remember the studio at all? What the setup was like with the mics running? Have you tried to recreate it? I sort of. I remember where it was located. Um, and uh, I remember the deal that got him into the studio. Um, I don't think the studio got paid for the time either. <laughs> and I also think the guy who did the engineering lost his job behind that that production, you know. But that's uh, a long story. <laughs> anyway, Wayne had a way with words. He could talk his way into a matchbox, you know. So uh, we got in, did the session. It was a beautiful session. Um, that the organ player Dizzy Barker, I mean, amazing. We he was part of our band, the Cougars, and Wayne would just pick up these guys, different musicians that he had worked with, and um, we went and did these sessions, and it, w- it was just great. Uh, as far as um, hearing it on the radio, the sampling, uh, you know, I really wouldn't know what I was listening for or to, but um, geez, I'd love to hear some of it, how they used it, you know. And Jay, how about yourself? Did you realize the historical significance of the song over the years before you were approached by Cipriano? Did you realize it was a cool track? Had you listened to it much? Had you thought about it much, much over the years? No, no, because not only that, <clears throat> if I may say, those days when we just played, we wanted to play. We loved playing, you know, just enjoy it and, you know, get the music out there and have some fun. But after... Cipriano got in touch with me in Light in the Attic. We realized that we created some history. But the beauty about it is that we did it with love. Because I'm always interested in stories of people don't realize mm. the importance of history. Yes. Now the record sells for a lot of money. Yes. Were you thinking over the years, geez, I shouldn't have used that in the washroom as a shower mat or something like that over the years? <laughs> Did you think back to all the times we had copies of the record and you kind of went, ah, who cares about this? Do you, do you think about any of that? No, I, I think about Wayne a lot because he surprised me. Yeah, he loved the music. He never stays quiet. He's always doing something. And But at that time, for him to get an album, because those days it was r- ridiculous. Nobody pays attention to you, because it was the big labels like Motown, CBS, and for him to get an album done, he had to be very good to talk and get his way. So when Cipriano got in touch with me and said, hey, there's an album by Wayne McGee, Sounds of Joy, I said, what? This is unbelievable. And now you look back and you said, it's known fact the things you say or do, it's going to stare you in the face down the road. It's history. And you guys played last night, and you're playing tomorrow as well. What does a Jamaica to Toronto concert smell like? 
smells like, I guess it's going to smell like what um, Jericho Beach will smell like tomorrow. Some nice weed, you know? <laughs> Because believe me, when we were doing those sessions, there was a lot of weed being smoked, man. You can tell. You can, you can detect it in the groove, right? Cipriano, you brought out a whole bunch of records for us to check out here of the Toronto to Jamaica theme. What are yes, we going to hear did. now on 45? Well, I've got a record. I think we should listen to something by the Cougars. That's uh, the band that uh, Jay and Pablo are a part of. This is an instrumental B-side to their I Wish It Would Rain 45. It's called Right On, and it's... Uh, Really amazing, heavy funk song, sort of reminiscent to me of Cool and the Gang. These guys can probably tell you a little bit more about it, but it's got a power of the people sort of chant in a heavy, heavy backbeat. Who's the girl going right on? <laughs> what happened to her? Is you she know still what? around? She's, she'll be in uh, Vancouver in August. That's Jackie Richardson. Oh, really? That's Jackie. Cooking she, at the crockery or something like yeah, that. Yeah, she was a part of the Cougars. Because that's great to run on her. Yeah. That's a really great one. And what record label is this on? And was it hard to get a deal at that time? You said it was hard to get an LP. How about a 45? Who paid for it? How did you get the 45 out? It, it wasn't released. It, it, was it, it, it was unreleased, and it was paid for by the band itself. We, we pooled our money and went into the studio and, and did the project. It was never released at the time? It's, never released. Oh, so it's been reissued. Yeah, this is, it's part of the Jamaica to Toronto CD, but it was a white label It was a white label 45 that the bands ha had done up with the help of, I think, a record label in Toronto called Arc Records at the time, but they didn't have the foresight or vision to release it, unfortunately for them, because it probably could have been a hit. It's a very unique combination of uh, the sort of Jamaica to Toronto sound. And what does it say on this particular record, on the actual label? What does it say for the label now? Well, this, on is, this, a, this is a reissue 45 that uh, Light in the Attic have printed up. They did some limited edition, sort of uh, 500 pressings of these three or four 45s but the original label was blank it had nothing but a white label on it no information but some hand-drawn uh, inscriptions by the <laughs> fellows here <laughs> right on <laughs> Thank you. 
and you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show. And who do we still have in the studio today? Hello, are you still there? Right on, still right there. on. And who are you guys again? The Cougars! Jay Douglas, Everton, Pablo Paul. From the... Jamaica, Jamaica the Toronto. Toronto. From the... Jamaica the Toronto. No, from the Cougars. <laughs> from the we just heard the Cougars. Your band, the Cougars. You guys were playing on that particular track yeah, oh, there. Oh, yes. The oh, Cougars, yes. right on. And yeah. we also featured in lead vocals doing right on. Who was that again? We have to give her some props. Jackie prizes. Richardson. Jackie Richardson doing right on yeah. by the Cougars here on CITR. I think hers were more sexy, though. It's a great, great yeah. tune. Yes, I don't do it too well. Sorry about that. I'm sorry. I don't want to dissuade people from going. I will not be at the gig singing or performing. I will be there attending, but I will not be singing or performing. But Everton and Jay will be, and as well as Cipriano, will be having lots of stuff for sale there. There's going to be some good vinyl for sale there at the gig. People always want to know that. Are you going to have some of the 45s or the white labels? Do any collectors approach you and think, oh, now that you've been have this close contact with the bands, I'll be able to get some stuff? Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I was talking to a lot of people last night at the Yale, but mostly we'll be selling the CD the Jamaica to Toronto CDs and we've done a few other albums in this series The Way McGee and the Sounds of Joy Noel Ellis and Jackie Matu Wishbone with the Summer Records Anthology coming in September and everything is available on the Light in the Attic website which is uh, www.lightintheattic.net and you can get all the vinyl from there which they uh, release as well as the CDs One thing I want to ask you guys about particularly is Jackie Matu Who was Jackie Matu for people that don't know who Jackie Matu was Who was Jackie Matu and how does he play into your lives? Okay, Pablo, uh, Pablo we, were, we were good friends, but Pablo was very close to Jackie Mitu, so I let Pablo start off. Until. Yeah, well, Jackie was a young, he was a child prodigy when it comes to Jamaican music. He, reggae, he started quite young, he left college and um, hooked up with uh, recording studios, Studio One with the scatter lights, and um, he just uh, never stopped playing music. I, I, you know, he came to Toronto after I did, and we hooked up again, and... Uh, Started doing some work together, clubs and recordings and so on. And he's uh, just one of the greatest ever ska piano player. And not just ska, but piano players to come out of Jamaica. When did you guys come to Canada from Jamaica? What year did you guys travel to Canada? I came here in 65. Um, and I came here in 63. So pretty early on, did you catch any of the Toronto-Yorkville punk rock scene from the 60s, i.e. like bands The Ugly Ducklings or Rick James' the, early the band, Sparrows, The Sailors? The Sparrows, which was... Yeah, Jack uh, London and the Sparrow, which yes, turned into Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf yes. And uh, David Clayton Thomas. Yes, and the Shades and the yeah, Boss Men yeah, from and, Blood, uh, Sweat and Tears. Rick, Rick James with the Minor Birds. Yes, the Minor Birds. And the name of the club was Minor Birds. <laughs> the yeah. the did, band was the Minor Birds. Did you guys see the Minor Birds perform? Did you ever oh, see yeah. Rick James perform oh, with yeah. the Minor Birds? Oh, yeah. What oh, were the yeah. Minor Birds like? Because yeah. I'm always interested about the Minor Birds. And recently, on its Motown anthology that was released, finally the long-lost Minor Birds tapes have come out with Rick James singing mm-hmm. and Neil Young on guitar. Mm-hmm. I think Neil Young was only in the band for a couple months. Mm-hmm. Did you see Neil and Rick together up on stage? Mm-hmm. You did! Village, and also, I saw um, uh, John and Lee, the Checkmates. They, they did not get as big as Rick James and George Oliver, which was the Mandela's. The Rogues, you know, with the, the Mandela. You, yeah, if you watch the movie with the Rose with Bette Midler, the drummer Whitey Glenn, he was the drummer for the Mandelas. And didn't they also play the Monterey Pop Festival? Oh yeah, they had some success. They went to the states as the Rogues, but they had to change their names to the Mandelas. And they got to play Monterey Pop oh, Festival, yes. but the bass player dropped acid, so <laughs> it was completely whiteout for the gig. 
Whereas if to make it a Toronto artist drop acid, it this even helps the gig even more. I guess yeah. because I show the difference between white guys and black guys. You know that the white guys can't handle the, the acid, and the black guys can just keep rocking on. I mean, look at Hendrix; it was absolutely amazing. But the Mandela, they were incredible, incredible weren't they? Incredible. There were some great white kind of soul yeah. R&B type bands. Um, Blue Eyes Soul, George Oliver, still going strong in Toronto this day, still singing. Oh, what do you remember about Rick James? Because he was in a couple bands. He was like a draft dodger yeah. from Buffalo. Buffalo, and he came yeah. up or whatever, yeah. and he got involved yeah. in Mindbirds. He was in his yeah. first. I think it was called The Sailors, wasn't it? Where he dressed all in sailor's outfits. <laughs> like Rick James in a sailor's outfit. This sounds totally amazing. True. Were you guys playing gigs with them? What was the scene like? No, well, what were the gigs you were playing at? Well, Where would the minor birds play? Okay, we uh, we played, we were members of Cougars, and we would play at the West Indian Federation Club, known as the Whiff Club in college. Now, those days, for you to get into the mainstream circuit, you had to play church halls or yeah. school dances. That was the thing. And we would be playing at uh, Central Technical School at Bathurst and Harvard, and Rick James would be playing down the road at Central Commerce, where most of the girls would go to. So we would cross each other's path, and the, ro- the Mandela's, all, you know, all these happening. You know, that's how it used to be in Toronto. And then Young Street, some guys end up playing with Ronnie Hawkins. You know, uh, Robbie Lane, the Disciples. Did you play his club, the Cock Door? The Cock Door. The Cock Door. Did well, you play the Cock Door? Well, the door? Cougars was, we were the band who to- broke the barrier down so that local bands could get accepted there. Oh, really? Play. Yes. They would not, they only hired like Commodores, bands from the States that would like to become famous, like the Supremes, Little Charles, the Sidewinds, they came over from the States, King Curtis. They would not hire any local bands in Toronto, from Toronto. So they would have a Saturday afternoon jam. And we said, well, I, we, we'll take the band down to them, since they won't hire us. So, we, they, so when the band from the States would take a break, the, we would ask to go up and play a thing. He said, you guys can't cut it. I said, just please let us go up and play. And they gave us something like 20 minutes. Was this Ronnie Hawkins' club? No, no. Ronnie Atkins was the ox nest, was beside the cock door. We got up there, man. We started kicking. Bop, burn up, cold sweat, hit it, getting down, bang. And then on top of that, without the permission of the members of the band, there were some guys sitting in the audience. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, there's some good friends out there, and they're known as the Flames. I'd like to bring them up on stage. The guys came up, and they started singing with the band, and the club owner came in and he says, Hey, listen, fellas, I'll tell you what, we're going to hire the band, but we need the old package with the flames for the same money. Holy, holy Jesus, that was it. Got going. You opened the door for all the other bands. And ever, ever Who were the other good bands on the circuit? I was just curious. What were the other bands out there? Did you like the Ugly Ducklings? Did you ever see the Ugly Ducklings oh, at all? Oh, yeah, they had one of the best bass player, man, ever. You know, the Ugly Duckins, uh, ja- Sean and Jay Jackson. There's a guy, that li- gentleman, lives out there, Eugene Smith. He's an entertainer. He lives out there. He used to be Jay Smith in the Majestics. Yeah, a lot of great players, a lot of great bands. We, we could talk about them. When you played with some of the bands, well, actually, when the other bands, the bigger bands played in Toronto, did, were there any after-party jams at all with any of the touring bands, the bigger U.S. musicians? Did you ever have jam sessions with them? Are you kidding? These parties would go for two days. <laughs> so the best That was real fun. Who did you end up partying with and jamming with? We, oh, For example, uh, uh, Arthur Connett. Good music, yeah, yeah. We had we backed him up, Le Cocteur. And he, we were talking about this before we came here. Yeah. He said to us, 
Hey, fellas, I don't promise a lot, but come to Georgia. We can, you can do, but we were so naive, man. We were, how we wanted was girls. <laughs> I played the music. What yeah. were you playing at that particular time? Was it ska? Was ska the big thing that was happening there? Because I know in Jamaica, things always change. There's always something new. When I've asked other people from Jamaica about ska music mm. and stuff like that, a lot of times they're like, well, that's so old, but I really just love the ska. Were you doing ska at the time? Was there a big influx? Was the ska the big hit? Are you kidding? Let me tell you this. We started play, uh ska was the music, but we got it from the States because the blues from Louisiana, you know, so then Jamaica decided to make their own music. Yep. That's where Scare came from, the blues. Then we started doing Scare. We were playing a lot of Scare. Then they slowed the Scare beat down to rock steady. You know, girl, I've got a date. And I just can't so. You know, and then they slow the rock steady down to reggae. But the thing is, in the early days when we got into La Cactor, we couldn't play Scado. We had to, we were then had to go to the American style music, had to adjust R and B soul music. Otherwise, we would never get engaged. That's right. Ska could never make it to the mainstream in, in Toronto. No, that's true. You know, uh, the, the, that the Jamaican music really wasn't accepted uh, in mainstream till after Bob Marley. When it when it when it trans when it when it went through the transition from ska rock steady to reggae. And that's what I was kind of curious about Everton and Jay, and we're speaking here to Everton and Jay from Jamaica to Toronto, who are playing tomorrow at the Vancouver Folk Fest, who played last night. Just thought I'd mention that. You played last night in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Did you ever see in Jamaica Bob Marley without the dreadlocks doing the ska? Did you ever see him performing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was that like? What was Bob Marley without oh, dreadlocks doing ska? Incredible story, because it so happened that I was there when he was recording Simmer Down before I came to Canada. It's an incredible story. We'll talk about that somewhere. But he came in with the group, man, and they, those days they had, like, take take one, take two, and they had problem getting that track down. And they were up to about take 23. But at the time they sent... Uh, Mr. Dodd, the owner of Studio One, he sent Peter Tosh in the studio to calm them down because they came together and he played guitar. He was the guitar player. And that's how they settled down and got the tracks done. But on top of that, when the track was completed, Simmer Down, he did not have any intro. So there was a gentleman standing at the entrance all morning not talking to anybody, Don Drummond, the trombone player, because he saw the musical and mad. So they had to bring him in and ask him nicely to put the intro on it. Then he put the intro on, and the Whalers never look back since. All young kids, no dread. How many bands from out of town did you guys play with? Not that many. You didn't play with a lot of out of town bands, did you? Like when it came through Toronto, would somebody like Bob Marley remember your Jamaican heritage and could you open for him or would he jam with you or anything like that? Did he show any affinity to anybody from Toronto? Well, I saw him at the airport when he came to do his first stop at Masial and I, I walked up to him and I remind him what happened and he, he, he was he says yeah you live here man you remember them yeah so what are you doing for yourself we spoke about it but God we would love to open for yeah him. we wouldn't have had the opportunity mm. though because we weren't that recognized by the promoters so they wouldn't have really offered us an opportunity to open for someone like Bob Marley. What about Lee Scratch Perry? He's playing tomorrow night in Vancouver. Oh, yeah. Have you had um, any run-ins with Lee Scratch Perry at all? Did you ever see him perform over the years? No. Yeah, I, I, well, sorry. I've never seen him, but I think I'd love to go and see him Quite tomorrow. a treat. Quite a treat. I've seen him in documentaries, but not 
not life. And he is he played a big part in Bob Marley's career. You know, the early years of up, he was upsetters. And he's not up against you tomorrow night, is he? No. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> is it Toronto to Jamaica versus Lee Scratch Break? Because he's playing the Commodore tomorrow night. Well, I you think know, you're ending at the Folk Fest tomorrow we're, night. We're used to that. That's the, that's typical of Jamaican music scene. There's competitive, isn't that, it? It's, very it's the only way it should be. The sound yeah. system versus the sound system. Oh yeah, one one opposite each other, they'd be kicking ass. Actually, right? I think yeah. you might be winning this one because yeah. the sound system at the Folk Fest. You can probably hear the Folk Fest when he's going to be playing at the Commodore because they. They crank it really loud, so I think probably the Cougars will prevail in a battle. But people should check out both artists if they actually can. And we're speaking here to Everett and Jay and Cipriano. No, it's not Everett. Everton. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, we actually there is an Everett connection. That's what made me think because yeah. Everett, Everton, Everett is near Seattle, okay. and Seattle is kind of why we're here today, isn't that right, Cipriano? Should we give some props to? Seattle, should Everton give some props to Everett, which is near Seattle? <laughs> I think he should, for sure, because we wouldn't be here without Seattle-based Light in the Attic true. Records, so which true. is sort of hilarious, considering we're trying to document some great Canadian stories, but it was a shame that uh, no uh, Canadian record company could get behind this project, but we're very happy to be working with Light in the Attic. They do an excellent job in spreading the music around the world. And, uh, and doing the reissues on yeah. vinyl, like the Wayne McGee vinyl, sure, LP yeah. on the Birchmont record label, which I'm really impressed by because they put out like the Guess Who and tons and tons of stuff out of Canada. Even though you say it's really hard to get a hold of those guys and there's no longer any Birchmont, but you were able to put the Birchmont logo mm. on a release from a Seattle record label. So you have infiltrated the United States of America with rare Canadian record label covers. I think it's great. I'd like to do more of it. I'm planning on it. It's, it's going to be great. And thank you for bringing all the tunes out here today, Cipriano. We're going to play right now something that you found for me because I was interested in hearing this. Mm. This goes back to Jackie Matu. Jackie Matu whose legacy lives on, believe it or not, through... Lily Allen? Lily Allen and her big hit, Smile, contains replayed elements. Don't you love that description? Replayed elements of Jackie Matu doing Free Soul by the Soul Brothers. And actually, I'll ask you guys, Everton and Jay, who were the Soul Brothers? What were some of the other bands that Jackie Matu played with? Because he played with a lot of people, didn't he? Mm. And also, we're going to be playing... The Lily Allen song. We're going to play Jackie Matu, and we're going to play it in the Lily Allen song, so you can hear what happened there. But if we're playing this Lily Allen song, is Jackie Matu's estate getting any money? Where does all this go? What's yeah, going on? Yeah, there's this estate that is kids. You know, they they uh, they're in control of it. Well, that's great. Yeah, yeah but. Do you know anything about his band here, the Soul Brothers? Is that something that might have been out of Jamaica before he got to Toronto? Yeah, um, Joe Isaacs. Yeah, yeah there, there were, there were. There, well, he knew Joe in Jamaica, but the, the Soul drummer. Brothers was was a local group. Mm -hmm. And this is a sample of the Soul Brothers by Lillianne Wiltshire here, right after the original by Jackie Matu, who I like to claim as he is a he was did he become a Canadian citizen? Jackie yes. Matu, yes, yes, Canadian. Mm -hmm. So Canadian content helps power Lily Allen's big hit not smile. Only, if I may say, uh, Jackie Matu did a lot of work with the Canadian Talent Library in Toronto, recording guys like Vic Franklin. Well, yeah, what was the Canadian Talent Library? Cipriano? Cipriano, he can... You know. Well, the Canadian Talent Library was uh, developed, I think, in, this, in the early 60s. It was a way to promote Canadian talent musicians and foster that. It was a radio subscription record service. So there were records cut in the studio 
and radio stations, private ones, all across Canada would subscribe to these record services. So they'd cut a record and they'd mail it out to all the radio stations and they'd play this Canadian content. And Jackie Matu got involved with this. It eventually merged into Factor in 1984. It was a different way of promoting Canadian talent. But Jackie recorded two great albums in the mid-70s for the CTL label, which Everton Pablo Paul was played, that the played drums label? on. Um, no, they did. They cut easy listening, pop. Um, Didn't some of the everything. Jamaican artists from Toronto end up on country records? Oh, yes, uh, Parag- Paragon Records. The Hitchhikers, which was fronted by Mighty Pope, uh, came out on Paragon Records, and that was uh, predominantly a Toronto country label, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, totally awesome. Mm-hmm. So Jackie Matu mm-hmm. totally helped Canadian music by getting involved in that. Oh, yeah. oh certainly. Oh, oh yeah. very much, yes. You would appreciate Vic Franklin's stuff that, you know, he was a very good singer, and he was a Canadian singer. So here we have Free Soul by the Soul Brothers, written by Jackie Matu, then followed up by a little bit of Lily Allen here on CITR FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, with Jamaica to Toronto.
You're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. And Cipriano, are you still there? Hello, Cipriano. Hello, hello, Nardwar. Uh, who are you? And could you please reintroduce what we are doing today on a Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show? We're just hanging out, having a good time. I walk by the studio and open the door, and here I am. You've brought a whole bunch of records and stuff. Yeah. Who are you again, and what's going on well, tomorrow? <laughs> My name's Kevin Howes, a.k.a. DJ Cipriano, the better enemy. And I've been collecting records for a long time and I've stumbled across a lot of amazing, unique Canadian music that has 
previously been undocumented music recorded by Jamaican immigrants to Canada in the 60s and 70s, and I brought a stack of these records to play and share with everybody tonight. I'm with my friends Jay Douglas and Everton Pablo Paul, who are so kindly playing and performing as part of Jamaica to Toronto at the Vancouver Folk Fest tomorrow, playing two slots, 11.45 in the morning, and a primetime, big-time, showtime slot in the evening on the main stage. So come down to the Folk Fest because it's going to be rad. And we have a caller. Hello, caller. Are you there? Hello, caller. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah. Who canceled? Ba-boom! And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwada Human Serviette Radio Show. And we are talking to Jamaica to Toronto and a bit later on on the Nardwada Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Tim from the Polyphonic Spree featuring Brian Teasley, ex-bird stuff of Man or Asterman, who at one time gave a little-known Vancouver band, The Smugglers, their big break when they played in Dallas, Texas. Now, speaking of United States of America, did you guys ever make it to United States of America doing any gigs? You mentioned Rick James coming up to Canada. Did you do any gigs in the United States of America? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, one of our biggest gig was playing at the Waldorf Astoria. It, it's just finally starting to sink in that we did play there. When was that? It, it was the uh, late 60s, early 70s. Early 70s with Jackie Mitchell. With Jackie Me too. Yeah, I'd never forget. He, he fell asleep with all the money for the bed. <laughs> he had so much to drink. <laughs> he fell asleep with all the dough, man. What was the set list that you were doing that time? Uh, Scan, Rocksteady. Yeah. And the particular track that we heard right now, what did you think of it? What do you think of the track that we heard? First off, I guess we heard the version by the Soul Brothers, Free Soul by the Soul Brothers, written by Jackie Me Too. Then we heard Lily Allen's interpretation of it. What do you think about the two there? Amazing. Amazing. Interpretation is the word. You know, she did a wonderful job. And, of course, you know, you look at the music where we at, especially reggae music today, hats off to the British artists. They've done so much for music overall, but reggae. Oh, I'd be really interested to know where she actually found that sample there, Cipriano. Could it be through... Light in the attic, or could it be through your efforts to help document Jamaica to Toronto that more people are getting turned on Jackie Matu? Well, possibly. I don't think specifically. I think I saw Lily at the Vancouver flea market last week scouring through the bins. I thought it was her. I didn't have the guts to go off and say hello, though. But no, she works with a lot of sort of like top-shelf producers that are, are really, I would imagine, clued into a lot of this old type of uh, soul funk and reggae music, and that's probably where they uh, discovered that Jackie track. And it, and it, it, is, uh, it's a nice, it is a nice version. It's a tribute in a way, I think, probably. And it's not really a sample, is it? No, they replay it so they don't have to re- play as much money. Yeah, it's true. But they do give uh, credit to Jackie and the liner notes, which is nice because uh, a lot of the times it just goes uncredited and, uh, and you know, unlicensed, which it would be a real shame in that case because it's a chance to expose even Jackie's music, hopefully. That's how I sort of got into this music as well, like reading the liner notes to rap albums, seeing who sampled what going out to find a James Brown record and learning more about the music, that was a, t- it's a, a stepping stone into getting into it a little bit deeper as well. So there's that angle as well. And of course, what is the importance of Michael Viner's bongo band, <laughs> incredible bongo band, Cipriano? To Vancouver, well, it was recorded at Cambase Studios, which was just, I believe, off West 4th. And Apache is a track on this Michael Viner's incredible bongo band record. It was one of the first records that the DJs in New York were playing back-to-back, two copies, one on each turntable cutting it left and right 
and the formation of rap music uh, it started was recorded in Vancouver. It was recorded in Vancouver, so there's a huge, huge. The uh, formation of rap, rap music, yeah. the foundation of rap music, was recorded in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. It started here. How about Jamaica? Well, that's where I guess everything started and in, in Jamaica. Jamaica yes. Back to Jamaica. At all. I was wondering. You guys were mentioning about playing with Jackie Matu and a lot of money at the Waldorf Astoria. How about in Jamaica? Was there much money to be had playing gigs in Jamaica? I know you're you know into Canada for a lot of your life, but how about in Jamaica, were people making any money doing stuff there? Because one of the artists I noticed was that who is it that was making quite a bit? Bob and who's Bob and Wisdom? Who are Bob and Wisdom? Oh, Bob and Wisdom, uh, they're part of the compilation, the Jamaica, the Toronto, and we grew up together in Montego Bay. Because I read a little quote that said yeah. they were like the highest paid group in Jamaica. <laughs> was there a lot of money made? How much money would they be making? No, it's not a lot of money. You know, I, uh, thank God we got paid. But I wouldn't say, and uh, don't forget, being uh, Jamaica, being part of the British Commonwealth, you were dealing with uh, the, the currency, the uh, pound, shilling, sterling, sterling. Yeah. You know, so it, it wasn't. It, it, it was more because of the love of the music, but there was not a lot of money, and I'm pretty sure Pablo. Yeah, well, back then they weren't making a lot. You get, yeah. you'd get paid, you know, but it wouldn't be. You wouldn't uh, say it's a lot of money today. The artists in Jamaica are demanding big money. You know, to get them to perform some of the hotel chains, they uh, they do the cabaret scene and they take their show, shows to the hotels in the North Coast. They, they demand big bucks. Now, the cabaret scene, Jay, did you play on cruise ships? Oh, yeah. What's the cruise ship scene like? Were you on love boats? What's it like doing the cruise ship it, scene? It, you it, must it, meet a lot of interesting people. Very. It's an amazing lifestyle. First, you, you go on a cruise ship. What's so interesting, the captain never calls it a ship. He said, everybody must get along on this vessel. You learn to get along with each other. You just eat, drink, lots of beautiful ladies, and it's a wonderful experience. You yeah. were the house band? What was your role exactly? I, I was uh, the future act for the main uh, showroom. You do like two shows a night, sometime one show per yes, It depends. And not only that, I volunteer my service as an uh, assistant tour guide when, after my shows to go on the excursions. So I could educate my mind about the different countries. Do you have any like all-star jams with Robin Williams or <laughs> Bruce Willis or anything like that? Not that far. No, no. didn't. Uh, you know, because most of these uh, cruise ships, the gigs that I did, like I was a featured attraction. And nobody comes on stage. Nobody. Well, well, well. You know, like what we would do at the end of the night, uh, all the other musicians and all of us, we would jam and have some good times on board. Coming up right now, Cipriano, you have another little nugget for us to hear. Yeah, I thought we'd uh, rewind to what we were talking about earlier. It was great hearing uh, Jay and everybody speak about the early whalers with featuring Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, and uh, Bunny Whaler. And uh, this is actually a 45 that Jay Douglas so kindly gave to me uh, one night at his house. It's uh, on the original Coxon Jamaican pressing, The Whalers Simmer Down. Mm-hmm. And also, I was going to mention about Jackie Matu. There's a movie about Jackie Matu, right, Cipriano? There's a movie that was being filmed? Um, well, yes. Well, for our next uh, release in the Jamaica Toronto series, it's called the Summer Records Anthology, and it's based about a reggae label that was in the basement of a gentleman by the name of Jerry Brown's uh, house in Malton, Ontario, right by the airport. And it was a studio frequented by Jackie Matu, Willie Williams, Stranger Cole, uh, the Wayne McGee, uh, the who's who of Jamaican music. 
and w Jerry Brown was filming a documentary about the Toronto reggae scene in the late 70s, early 80s. It had hours of footage, but it was never assembled. It just sort of sat on a shelf in an attic for many years. And myself and Light in the Attic have uncovered this footage and edited it together for our next release. So it's a dual disc. Summer Records Anthology is coming out in September, and there's amazing footage of Jackie Matu, which doesn't really exist. There's hardly any film footage of Jackie out there. So it's a real treat to be able to share it with people. And this particular track, who's playing on this Bob Marley track? Like, Bob Marley's playing. Who else is in the Bob Marley band at this time? Uh, you mean in Simmerdown? Yes. Actually, they were just a vocal group. But uh, the, the only one played at the time was Peter Tosh. He played a small guitar. So he came to them with the, uh, for the, the recording at the studio, Studio One. But they were all vocal groups. And what a lot of people don't know is that the the lead singer for, for the Whalers at the time wasn't Bob, was a Junior Brathwaite. You'll hear his high-pitched voice. But now I'm looking back at the experience. This man was chosen to deliver the message. His approach, Bob, he kept writing. His approach, he was just going. And when you listen to the way he sings, Simmer Down Now, listen to the way he phrases. This is a way, with a young man with so little experience, you know why he's Bob Marley. Listen, listen carefully the way, because I, I remember the day I was there, and now I listened to everything. He was just driven to be Bob Marley. Amazing. <laughs>
You're still still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwari Human Serviette Radio Show. And we still have in the studio members of Jamaica to Toronto. And who are you? Please introduce yourselves again. Jay Douglas. And? Everton Pablo Paul. From Jamaica to Toronto, who are playing tomorrow at the Vancouver Folk Festival in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And who did we just hear right now? Who did we just hear? Eddie Spencer. And who was Eddie Spencer? From Montego Bay again, the, the cabaret circuit. All of us came through the cabaret circuit and uh, talent shows in Montego Bay, just like Wayne McGee, Wisdom and Bob, Eddie Spencer, myself. And Eddie Spencer came to Canada the early years with a band from Jamaica called The Sheiks, and he grew so fast. He was the original lead singer for The Powers in Toronto, and then Grant Smith... Uh, took over from Eddie Spencer because Eddie, his career just took off like a jet. And this particular track was recorded in Toronto, Ontario, right? This is some Canadian content happening? I just found out from Cipriano. Yeah, Cipriano, where did you get this particular track? Incredible. I got it from a collector in Scarborough, but it's on the Good Groove label. It's a beautiful, swirly, psychedelic-looking label. Uh, it's a subsidiary of the ARC record label, which uh, Eddie also recorded for. Uh, Eddie Ed Robertson from the Majestics. The keyboard player from Majestics was involved in this one as well for all you Canadian funk heads out there. So would have this been on from Jamaica to Toronto, but you didn't know it existed, that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, I didn't have it at the point when we uh, when we 
compiled the album, but it uh, maybe could be on part two. There's a lot of stuff out there, and it's fun exploring it and digging. I recommend every, all the listeners to uh, that love music just to dig deeper, whether you're looking for music online or in the dusty record bins or the used CD stores. Go and explore music, because there's always more out there to uh, find out about. Will there be about. a volume two? Have you got enough for a volume two? Um, well, we're working on the series, and there's already four albums deep, and uh, we'll be putting out a few more. I'd, I'd love to do one. It's just a just a matter of time. We'll have to see how it goes. Mostly right now, we're focusing on working on a documentary about this scene. I, I want the artists like Everton and and Jay here and Mighty Pope to tell their own stories. So we're working on a documentary called From Yard to Young. It's going to feature our, lots of archival materials and c- contemporary concert footage and all sorts of good stuff. So we're working on that over the next year. And Everton and Jay, before that particular track, we heard some Bob Marley, and you were describing the people who were actually on that recording. You said that was the satellites, and there were rude boys wearing shorts. Could you explain a bit about <laughs> that? Satellites. Go ahead, Pablo. Um, yeah. Um, it, when, in Jamaica, when you were a young boy, you, you, you'd be, you'd be uh, considered to be um, disrespectful to want to wear a long pants. <laughs> So little boys were kept in their place by the parents dressing them in short pants so just they know, hey, you haven't, meet, you haven't reached manhood as yet, so just, you know, be cool, wear your short pants. <laughs> but anyway, that didn't stop the Scatterlites from uh, taking him into the band because... Um, Jackie Me Too. Jackie Me Too, yeah. He was such a good, good player, and they needed him because he was an integral part of the group. Um, he created some nice rhythms behind the music that they were producing. So they, they they looked beyond him wearing short pants, and he was so welcomed in the band and helped to create. And he played on that Bob Marley track. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He, played down. On, oh, he played it down. Yeah. A, lot of the, a oh. lot of the singers, big singers that you're listening to, reggae or uh, ska singers, Jackie Me Too played behind them. When Jackie's parents mm-hmm. thought he was in school, he was in the studio. studio. And this was Studio One stuff with Cox yes. and Dodd, yes. which opens yes. up a whole other can of worms because yes. you were saying, Cipriano, it's really hard to get a hold of that stuff. Is that true? You tried to get some Studio One stuff for Jamaica to Toronto. What is not on Jamaica to Toronto that should be on Jamaica to Toronto? Well, I think it would have been great to include some of the recordings cut in Jamaica by these artists before they came to Canada for the ones that did record in Jamaica but it just opens up a whole heap of uh, legalities and uh, the Studio One catalog is a pretty uh, it's guarded with lock and key over in England and as well independently in the States and uh, that's why you don't hear a lot of Studio One stuff in the films these days they don't really let it out too much they're preserving their heritage which is totally understandable but it would be lovely to uh, you know, spread it as far as it can go. It's great music. It still sounds as vital today as it did when it was created. What about that CD I came across, Canada's Answer to the Meters? What was that CD all about? Well, that was put out by a folk in London called uh, Jazzman Records. They put out a compilation of The Hitchhikers featuring Mighty Pope and they cover a meter song on their independent album on Paragon Records, which we were talking about earlier. It was a country music label predominantly. Uh, they covered Sissy Strut by The Meters, so all the UK sort of uh, funk type guys went crazy over it and they reissued it, but they didn't take the time to package the music properly today if you want to buy a cd you should get something more than a a blank piece of paper inside with a photocopied cover it has to have a little bit more some archival materials take the time to talk to the artist write down some liner notes preserve some of the history share the story so it's a little shoddy in my opinion 
uh, but we were able to rectify that with Jamaica to Toronto. Well, thank you very much for coming out to the Nardwarty Human Serviette Radio Show, Jamaica to Toronto. I was going to say, Cipriano, you're a great DJ. Did you guys see Cipriano doing the DJing there, flipping the disc? Oh, man, he was hot. He you was were flip- hot. You were flipping the disc there, weren't you, you sh- Cipriano? You, sh- you should have yeah. seen him in action last night at the Yale. And lots of record collectors are going to hassling you to steal the records, right? <laughs> do you like wash off the labels like those legendary DJs do, so well, people don't know Jama- what you That was a Jamaican <laughs> thing where they they'd take a razor blade and write mark out the, oh. the artist or the song title. They didn't want yeah. anyone to know what they had. It's all about exclusivity in those days with the sound systems and the clashes between Studio One, Cox and Dodd, and all these other pioneers: Duke Reed, Prince Buster, Lee Perry. Yes, yes. It's endless this history, and it's great. But no, I don't. I don't. I, li- I like to collect the records in a and uh, I don't scratch out the labels. No, it's wrong in Jamaican talk to call Cipriano a DJ, isn't it? He's not a DJ. You're a selector, right, isn't it? There's a yeah, difference, le- DJ and selector? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the DJ is the MC. Mr. Selector. <laughs> I always got confused by that. Yeah, DJ is the MC, mm-hmm. DJ selector. But I'm not too confused by Jamaica to Toronto because all this is available at Light in the Attic, right? So you can check yeah, a lot yeah. of this stuff out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you guys have coming up, Everton and Jay? What do you have coming up? Well, first... Uh, first uh, Aside from playing tomorrow at the Folk yeah, Fest. I, uh, I have a brand new CD out. It's called uh, Touch of Magic. And Sly and Robbie has been featured, and it's a beautiful CD. We just had a CD launch in Toronto, and Sly and Robbie came up from Jamaica with uh, Tony Green and Mallory Williams. We had a great show at the Revival in Toronto, and it was good. But if I may say right here, I'd love to say a special big up, as they say in Jamaica, to the thank you to Cipriano Light in the Attic. And I'm pretty sure uh, Pablo shares the same yes. sentiments. Not only that, Bob Marley... Peter Tosh, all these great artists that came out of Jamaica to start them. Had not been for selector or DJ, but we call it sound system, they would not be in top of the world because those are the people who made the artists playing the records. The studio would send it. And most of these guys who own studio, Studio One, they had their own sound system. Did you guys record any songs in Jamaica yourself? Are you on any recordings that... Cipriano could have recorded from. Are you on any Studio One stuff? Yeah, I did. I did a few, uh, not Studio One, but a few sessions in Jamaica before I had left. Do you have copies of those records at all, Cipriano? No, I don't. There. Uh, you have any copies? He would love to. He would love to. But tell you, I don't have copies. I'm not surprised. He will find them. Trust me. He's going to find What is the rarest Canadian thing out there that you are looking for that you know actually exists? Maybe. Well, I would say the Cougars 45, the uh, the test demo, <laughs> I Wish It Would Rain and Right On, is the, probably the rarest Canadian uh, funk record. But is there something you don't have that you don't have because you have that? I have it all. No, I, there's there's lots out there. Mostly things I don't I don't know, you know. Uh, there was a record on Paragon as well as the Hitchhiker's one called Don Carrington. He was a, I believe he was from the States, but it was another rare Canadian funk record that I looked for for years, but I have it now. I'm just looking to find things I don't know about. The more obscure, the better. <laughs> How about you, Everton? Do you have any of your records from the olden days? Uh, n- no, I don't, no. From I, way back when at Studio I, One or wherever I, you record? Where did you record I, I, again? I'm sure, I'm sure what I have each probably got the same, you know, but there are a few uh, records scattered about in my house or in my... The, tent, the big, the big... Oh, yeah, there's one there. I don't. It's, it's so big, I've never seen a record so big, but it's the Soft Wax, and um, I, I, have, I probably have the only existing... Ten, um, it, I think it's probably about 14 inches 
in diameter, if not more. Now, were there any other records, Soprano, at Jay's house that you wouldn't mind borrowing? <laughs> oh, there's a few. Jay, can we hook up a, a little uh, evening at your pad? Uh, he, Jay has a, I shouldn't, I don't know, I should, he has a basement full of amazing records from all, from, from, Across the board, every genre. He's a, he's a record collector too, which is uh, was surprising to find out. But you're not only a collector; you're a sharer, and that's important. Oh, you're yeah, a sharer, sure. aren't you? Like, yeah, that's the whole idea. Sharing, and that's yeah. why I started playing a records yeah. out. Yeah, I'm not much yeah. of a DJ, but playing records out in Vancouver, it's all about sharing that's music right. with good people, that's and that's right. why we're doing the and Canadian content too. That's all and about so that, yeah. we're gonna play a couple tracks, maybe one or two. Mm-hmm. What are we gonna end in our Human Serviette show well, here love with to us? To end here with uh, well, the next track up is. Ram, Love is the Answer, and this is a song written by Wayne McGee, performed by Wayne McGee, who is unfortunately in very ill health, and he can't join us at these dates, but Mighty Pope has been so kind to perform this song live. That's right. So that people could enjoy something off Jamaica to Toronto CD live. And And after that, if we have time, we might do... Uh, there may be another magic treat in there. I'd like to actually listen to a Johnny Osborne reggae track called Love Makes the World Go Round. And it's but this Love is the Answer, this is a great tune, isn't it? Oh, it's killer. And the B-side of this is actually an instrumental flip, so any record collectors out there, look for it because it's a unique uh, B-side of there, an instrumental version. You can do a funk karaoke if you felt so inclined. Well, Jamaica to Toronto, why should people care about Jamaica to Toronto? Why should people care? Because it's organic. All right. Well, anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? <laughs> love. It, it's made with love from the beginning. All right. Well, thanks so much. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Wop wop.
Son, thou hast committed thyself. You shall now face the wrath of the Son of Thunder.
And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. And who do we have on the line right now? Hello, are you there, caller? Yes, this caller's here. Who are you, caller? My name's Tim DeLauder from the Polyphonic Spree. And Tim, who else is in the Polyphonic Spree? Good grief, that's a loaded question. I have 24 other people in this band. Are you able to name them? Uh, yeah, it'll take me a little bit of time, but yeah, I could name them. I would love to hear their names. All right, here we go. We have Mark Pirro. We have <laughs> Rick Nelson. Actually, I hate to interrupt, Tim. Where do you start when you think about naming your band? Do you look at the instrumentation first? Do you do it stage left or right? How do you remember who's in your band? That's maybe my question. How do you remember who's in your band? Well, how I, what I started with this time was I was actually looking at Mark Pirro at the back of his head, and I thought, well, I'm going to start with Mark. And I knew Buffy was next door in the room next door, so I thought I would choose her next. Now, speaking of Mark, is Mark afraid of Gordon Lightfoot, Canadian Gordon Lightfoot? Does, is Mark afraid of Gordon Lightfoot? Um, no, he loves Gordon Lightfoot. Have you integrated Gordon Lightfoot into any polyphonic spree songs at all? Well, we did have a history lesson for a lot of people in Milwaukee about Gordon Lightfoot. Mark went on to tell the whole story of what ha- happened um, with the Edmund Fitzgerald. And it sparked a whole list of uh, opportunities for fans to bring things related to Gordon Lightfoot and the Edmund Fitzgerald. So um, it was quite an interesting evening that, that night. Props out to Canada for that. Gordon Lightfoot. Of course. We love Gordon Lightfoot. Now, you know what's interesting about Gordon Lightfoot? You know the song Sundown? Yeah, Sundown, I think it can, yeah. Do you know what that song is about, Tim, of the polyphonic spree? No. That is a song warning people to stay away from Kathy Evelyn Smith. Really? And do you know who Kathy Evelyn Smith is? No. The woman that injected John Belushi. You're kidding me. No. Gordon Lightfoot's ex-girlfriend was the same person that injected John Belushi in Los Angeles. So some might have, some historians have speculated if John Belushi had listened to Gordon Lightfoot, he might be alive. Exactly. Well, the song was written prior to that? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Just an interesting connection. Now, back to the 23 other members of the Polyphonic Spree, Tim. There's 24 of us. And we've done 22? And, 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 we, and we've done, what do you mean? We've named two so far. You named Mark? Yeah, we've, we've, we've named two. Are there any more to go? We've got yes. Mark. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Um, Audrey Easley, uh, Brian Wakelin, uh, uh, Evan Heisey, Ryan Fitzgerald, Daniel Huffman, Jay Jennings, uh, Jenny Kelly, Jennifer Job. Uh, Jessica Jordan, Julie Doyle, Keith Hendricks, Kelly Repka, um, Kristen Harden, uh, Matt Bricker, Nick Gresh, Nick Wadarcy, Apotzla Wilson, Ricky Rasura, uh, Rick Nelson, Stephanie Dolph, Tamara Cobble, and myself. What about Brian Teasley? Brian's not with us on this run. So would he make it, like, 
more than like twenty five or twenty six people? Because you know he is almost two people. Yeah, he is. On his when when he's on fire, he's like that. But yeah, he would he would account for two at least two people. So Tim, you're playing with the Polyphonic Spree tonight at the Commoner Ballroom in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Another member associated with your band is playing Vancouver coming up. The band Saint Vincent is being billed as featuring members of the Polyphonic Spree. How many bands are billed as having featuring members of the Polyphonic Spree? There must be quite a few. There, there have been a, quite a few bands that have come from this group. We've been together now for about seven years, so we've had, um, we've planted some seeds around this country of, of, of bands um, from people that have been in the group. Because covered on posters all across North America, there must be a lot of quotes like featuring members of the Polyphonics because there's so many, it just spreads everywhere, right? Yeah, it does. What are the rules for being in the Polyphonic spree, Tim? The only rule I would say is you have to be able to improvise on your instrument thoroughly. What about the guest list? You're a member of the Polyphonic Spree. How many guest list spots are you allowed? Because you have so many people in the band. How many guest list spots? Because I'd imagine the guest list must get pretty huge. What is the biggest guest list you've had from the Polyphonic Spree just from the members and stuff? Oh, a hundred. What do promoters think of that when they see 100 people on the guest list? Well, it depends. If it's a sellout, they don't really mind it. But if it's not, they usually start screaming. What's the smallest club that you've played that you've had a 100-person guest list? Oh, gosh. Like Maxwell's in Hoboken, New Jersey? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? This band's never played Hoboken. I've never played uh, Maxwell's. Tripping Daisy played Maxwell's. But this group has it. We played... A, we played uh, we did play Maxwell's in Hoboken? Yeah, we did. That's right. Golly, we did play Maxwell's. But that was back in nine, I mean, that was in 2001. So would it have been 100 people on the guest list for that night? No, not for that night. So there would be rules. You cannot put that many people on the guest list? Yeah, you can't do that. I mean, you probably get one apiece. It really it, it, it matters on where we're at what city we're in, you know, and, and the, the venue and the sale of tickets and those kind of things. Have you ever been confused with the nine-inch nails at all? What's the difference between a polyphonic spree and the nine-inch nails? Uh, about nine inches, really. Nine-inch nails and the polyphonic spree, we don't have any nails in our group. There are some similarities. You are both on TVT Records or associated with TVT Records, and they had the Fragile, and you have the Fragile... We are the Fragile Army. Yeah, so there are some similarities. That's what I was wondering. You know, there's, oh. you know, there's similarities. What are the differences? Well, that's, that's interesting. You know, yeah, they're not on TVT anymore, but they are, his first record was on TVT, and then I think he split from there. Looking at the stage setup of the Polyphonic Spree, Tim of the Polyphonic Spree, playing tonight at the Commodore Ballroom in Vancouver, BC, Canada, I think I saw some plexiglass in a photo. What's plexiglass doing on stage for a Polyphonic Spree gig? Well, that helps separate the sound for the choir so they don't get bombarded by the cymbals and the drums into their microphones. What have the polyphonic spree been criticized for? Criticized for? Um, I think we've been criticized for being uh, a little bit too optimistic at times. I saw that you were criticized because, quote, you had a confetti show. 
Tata Confetti Show? Yes, they criticized the polyphonic spree because you guys had a confetti show. Somebody didn't like confetti shows. Is that the pettiest thing that you've been criticized for? A confetti show. Is there a confetti show with the polyphonic spree? Yes, there is. And quite frankly, I love the confetti show. Caller, are you there? Hi, Nardwa. Go ahead to Tim from the Polyphonic Spree. Hey, Tim. How you doing? Hey. Go ahead, caller. Hello. Hello there. Hey, Tim. How you doing? Looking forward to the show tonight. Um, awesome. I wanted to know why uh, Brian Teasley isn't touring with you guys right now. Brian is working on his real estate license. Believe it or not, the boy is back in school, and he's taking a little break from the rock and roll world. Okay, thank you very much. Caller, I understand you wanted to do an interview with Brian, but Tim, this caller got confused because there's a couple Brian's in the band. Yeah, well there's one there was a there was a Brian there is a Brian Wakeland in the band and a Brian Teasley that's in the band, but he's off at school right now. And then we have a Ryan in the band. That must be confusing, eh? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks so much, caller, and do 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 loot do and you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, the Nardwater Human Soviet Radio Show. Speaking here to Tim from the Polyphonic Spree, who are playing tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at the Commodore Ballroom. Uh, Tim, I wanted to ask you about Tripping Daisy, your band Tripping Daisy. Now, regarding Tripping Daisy, you guys had a song called Umbrella, didn't you? Yes, we did. That was a long time ago. And Rihanna now has that song, My Umbrella. Who does? Rihanna, R&B artist Rihanna, has a song called My Umbrella. I was just thinking, did you ever think about this? The umbrella history of rock and roll. Wow. No, that's very interesting. I did not know that. And, you know, all these people say, well, the Arcade Fire did all this stuff with David Bowie. You were the first to do stuff with David Bowie, weren't you? The Polyphonic Spree were the first to do something with David Bowie. Or you well, beat the Arcade Fire to David Bowie, didn't you? <laughs> I guess so. He, he's just been supportive from day one from our band. He was responsible for bringing us to the U.K., for taking us outside of Texas for the first time. And then he, we went on tour with him on his North America tour. So he's been pretty, pretty supportive of the group. But I just think it's important to acknowledge that Polyphonics Free were first of getting support of David Bowie. They were before the Arcade Fire. It's great that he helped the Arcade Fire, but first was the Polyphonics Free. First, you beat the Arcade Fire to David Bowie. You did win that race, didn't you there, Tim, of the yes, Polyphonics Free? Thank you for clarifying that. And I have a little quote here. I interviewed a metal groupie a few years ago, and she was a big fan of Tripping Daisy and stuff. Did Tripping Daisy tour Canada with Def Leppard? Yes, did. And this is what she says about that. I'm, I, I was asking her about stuff, and she said, I said, how does it compare to being a groupie on the scene with metal bands to the new band of alternative bands? How do you compare to Life Bands? She used to be a groupie with metal bands, you know, like Def Leppard, and then she went on a tour with you guys, and she got converted to alternative bands because of Tripping Daisy. Good grief. And All right. This is what she says, though, Tim, and I'm not sure if she's addressing you. She goes, I personally think the alternative bands are a lot more disgusting. The guitar player from Tripping Daisy doesn't bathe at all on the road. So I guess the metal guys were a little more concerned with their appearance, and hygienically, that was preferable. Also, the metal guys are a little ruder, like, we're cool, we're famous, we can be assholes. Do you remember not bathing at all on the road with Tripping Daisy in Canada? Well, that would be Wes. Wes didn't, yeah, he, he's, 
He didn't bathe very much, and I I can't believe that that finally made it out there. But it, that's that's a that was a true fact. Tripping Daisy, Def Leppard across Canada. Do you remember those gigs, and how will those compare to tonight's gig at the Commodore Ballroom? You know, Polyphonic Spree at the Col- Commodore Ballroom versus Tripping Daisy opening up for Def Leppard. Differences. Good grief, my gosh. Well, the food was a lot better with Def Leppard than it is right now. We had uh, a bus with five people on it and, you know, a couple of crew guys back then. Now I have a bus with 27 people on it. Um, it, it smells horrible in the mornings on the new bus. But the show here in – the last time we were here in Vancouver, that show was off the hook, and I think that was in '04. the last time that we were here. It might have been 2003. Oh, wow. And that was at Richards on Richards Club? Yes, that's right. And that has gone down in Vancouver punk rock gig history. And I say the word punk rock there because there is nothing more punk than beating the arcade fire to David Bowie than the polyphonic spree. And we're speaking here to Tim from the polyphonic spree here live on an Artwater Human Server Radio Show winding up CITR News coming up in a moment. Polyphonic spree are playing at the Commodore Ballroom tonight in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. What can you tell me about... K-E-O-M Dallas. K-E-O-M Dallas. It's a high school radio station. You like listening to high school radio, Tim? Oh, man, you do your homework. Yes, I love that station. I love it because it's, it's uh, they play like all, all 70s uh, music, kind of all of it, but they play the, the deep cuts there. They don't have uh, commercials on there, and they, they talk about, you know, how to make a guacamole salad, and then, then they'll talk about... Um, the Big Dipper, and then one segment they'll talk about the white-tailed deer, and it's just a really refreshing uh, radio station, and kids at the high school, so they stumble on their words, and they give the metro traffic and all this, and it's just, I don't know, I like it. It's a great, charming station. A high school radio station. This sounds amazing. This is in Dallas, where you're from. Do you do any first-hand JFK assassination research at all, being living in Dallas and stuff? Have you seen any stuff? Have you been to the site of, like, the Tippett murders? Are you fascinated by any of that? Have you been to the Grassy Knoll? Is any of that incorporated into polyphonic sprees on a brand-new album? No, but I did do a meditation on the on the uh, grassy knoll with, with with a producer one time trying to do one of my records back in Tripping Daisy days. He he took us down there and he wanted to do a meditation, so we did that. But yeah, there's a lot of um, interesting uh, conspiracy theories down there. There's a bunch of people that are selling their magazines and they're handing out their pamphlets of their idea of what went down. Was JFK, but as far as being inspired, as far as songs with JFK, no, it hasn't happened. Okay, we're going to play a track now from the brand new Polyphonic Spree, the Fragile Army CD, which is the closest track on this C- CD to a JFK-inspired lyric. Which, t- What is the closest song to a JFK assassination Dallas theme that we should play? I would say play the Fragile Army, the self-titled track. And how does that relate to JFK? Because that's an ode to Bush song. <laughs> I wish someone would get his ass. <laughs> and lastly here, Tim of the Polyphonic Spree playing tonight at the Commodore Ballroom in Vancouver, Columbia, Canada. What advice do you have to bands about playing corporate gigs? Because you've played some corporate gigs and you've done some like ads for like Volkswagen Beatles and stuff. What's your advice for doing like a Beatle ad or an iPod ad or playing like a phone company after party after the Sasquatch Music Festival? What's your advice to bands? What's it like doing the corporate sort of thing? Well, the money's really great, and when you've got a band like myself that has, you know, 27 mouths to, to feed and keep this baby on the road, we take it how we can get it, and we use that money to do other great things, like make a record, like the Fragile Army. 
So that's how I justify it. How about, though, the reaction to the people you're playing to? Like, any hints for bands playing corporate gigs? What songs do the corporate bigwigs want to hear? What sort of corporate parties have you played? Do you gear your set to those people? What sort of reactions Um, have there been? I've really never played a corporate party, per se. Um, I've done some commercials, but I've never really played a corporate party. Um, I don't know. You just do what you normally do until they come up and tap you on the shoulder and tell you that you need to turn it down. I don't know. Well, thanks so much, Tim. Why should people care about the polyphonic spree? Because we're bringing a message of hope in this dismal world, how it is in my country. Here it seems to be pretty charming and beautiful. You're an awfully upbeat guy. But in my country, it's kind of, it's tough right now. And my band brings a sense of hope to people when we come through. And you're pla- it's a very spirited event when you come to a polyphonic spree show. And that's tonight, the Commodore Ballroom, what's the longest encore that you've played? What's the longest encore that you have played? Probably about an hour and a half. We've played for almost three hours before. So you had an hour and a half encore. Yeah. So the encore is as long as the actual gig. Yeah. That's great. Well, thanks so much, Tim. Keep on rocking in the free world. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Just support the Fragile Army because we're supporting you. We're giving everything we've got, and tonight the house is going to blow up with polyphonic spree. It's going to be an awesome show. Well, thanks so much, Tim. Keep on rocking in the free world, and do-do-do-do-do-do. Do-do. following is a live presentation of CITR News.